Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Glad you're with us. We've been in a, a series of messages called Suburban Myth, and what we're doing is we're going along with King Solomon on a search for the meaning of life and for hope in life. And what, what he's done, at one point in his life, he decided to turn away from God, and he began to search for meaning uh, apart from God. So that's, that's the search we're going with him on. And we're sort of steamrolling toward the conclusion at the end of the book uh, on the last week of this series, which is the end of this month. And so uh, we're, we're digging in, walking with him. Um, and he, he arrives at, <clears throat> just, just to lay any fears you may have, he arrives at a God-inspired conclusion. So this kind of literature in the Bible, you read some of it, and you're thinking, wow, what's going on? And the reason God included it in Scripture is that it's, it's sort of a poetry aimed at giving us wisdom. And what poetry does is it sort of gets to your heart. I'm, I'm not that poetic myself, but it's designed to get to your heart. And so as you go through this search with Solomon, you begin to feel with him. You feel right along with him, and we're on the path with him. His father, David, was a warrior. Solomon's name means peaceful. He, he, didn't, he didn't fight wars. He didn't conquer lands. Um, but under David, his father, Israel grew into a regional power, and he led them to achieve prosperity and superiority. That's tougher to say than you think. Superiority. Wow, I'm still not sure that's right. I'm going to need to go to the the word coach (laughs) and get that figured out. But anyway, he led them to superiority in their region of the world. And uh, so Solomon, whose name means peaceful, received a very stable kingdom. And uh, it was secure on its borders. It was, it was set for a significant period of cultural development, and that, that's what happened. So he, he didn't fight wars. He didn't, he didn't need to, to go to battle. But today, as he talks about power and money, he can talk about those two things from an interesting vantage point because he had the absolute power of a king and in a kingdom that had regional power over the nations surrounding them. And it seemed like he used it, from what I can tell, mostly for good. He used his power for good. And he also, unfortunately, used it to get what he wanted for himself. And that ended up really hurting him later on. But he also had incredible wealth. And he used that to try to purchase the life that he wanted. And so as we walk through this with him, He's speaking from a, an interesting vantage point that not all of us have, and we may never have that kind of vantage point. But as we talk about these two things, power and money, they aren't evil in themselves, but it's what you do with them that makes a difference. And so Solomon makes some statements and draws some conclusions. They're very, very helpful for us today. So we're going to look at the right perspective that protects us from using power and money in a way that backfires on us and and really hurts. So if you're wise, 
what happens is those two things grow. Your influence in the lives of others, power, and your, your wealth. You know, it may not grow astronomically, but you do uptick in terms of uh, your, your wealth over time. That's what Scripture says, and that's one of the promises to the wise. So the power to influence others, not a bad thing, can be a very, very good thing. It can be very valuable. If you use your, your, your money for good, that's also valuable. So we're going to step back and look at those two things because we, we want influence. Mainly we, what we want is we want the privilege that goes with influence. And uh, there's something in our heart that's wired that way. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to step back and look at how these things really uh, can be used the right way for good and how we need to guard against using them the wrong way. So in the book of Proverbs, which is a book that Solomon also wrote most of, he wrote most of the Proverbs, and in that book, in Proverbs 28:16, he says, A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. And uh, you, you may have the power to oppress and overtake others and push them around. But a ruler who does this lacks understanding. Oppression means, um, to, to oppress, means to get what I want from others by force. That's what it means to oppress. And on a ma- macro scale on a grand scale a ruler who uses his power to oppress his people that are under his leadership um, ends up with a very unstable kingdom that that's what you find in scripture and that's what you find in life because there's something about the heart of people that doesn't want to be forced to do stuff isn't there i mean there's something in there and it's really not right to overrun the will of people uh, to get things done. Uh, we don't have the power of a monarch. We don't have the power of a king like Solomon did. But on a micro scale, if we try to push people around, this also destabilizes our relationships. And there are many ways that we try to push people around. One of those is to blow up in anger. We, we just blow up, try to intimidate others into shaping up and doing what we want. Um, blocked goals, you know, we, we want the family to cooperate or we want our co-worker, we want the boss to, you know, do the plan that we think's best or whatever it is. And our goal gets blocked and the fuse gets lit and we are off. We go off in anger. Um, we might blow up like this, try to get our family to do what we want, a friend, a co-worker. At work, we might not really blow up because that might not be good for our career, but we sure certainly can make people understand how upset we are <laughs> at what's gone on. So that's one way we try to use power to push people around. Um, we might try to manipulate circumstances, situations, so they go our way. We may withhold kindness to make people out of revenge. So we, hold, we, we have the power to bless. We have the power to show kindness to somebody. But we hold it back because we want to make them pay. So these are ways, you know, Solomon's talking about oppression 
on a macro scale, the oppression of a king. But these are some ways that, that we, on a micro scale, can get into it. Let's walk through what Solomon says about this. Ecclesiastes 4, 1 and 2, it says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Now, <laughs> you get the, this is where he's at, okay? I mean, the dead, it'd be better not to be born than to be in this situation. He's, Solomon's in the doldrums, to say the least. That's, that's a light commentary on what he's going through. This speaks to his mood. Um, but what we can take away from this is that when I power up on others to get what I want, it's a lose-lose situation. It's lose-lose. The same thing is said about the one who powers up and the one who gets powered up on. And they had no one to comfort them. It's a lose-lose. It's the same thing for either one. Why does the oppressor lack understanding? That's what Solomon said at the very beginning in Proverbs. Another verse Solomon wrote clues us into why. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Now, why is that? Why is it better to be patient as you work with others than just take somebody by force and have them do what you want them to do? Why, why is that better? Because when you power up on people, you lose their heart. You don't have their heart. If I try to force people to do what I want them to do, the relationship suffers. It's damaged. It could get destroyed. And so this this is a very important point that Solomon's making here as we walk through this search for meaning with him. If we want to have meaningful relationships with people, we don't power up on them. We don't do that. When I try to control or push people around to get my way, I build a wall. It's like move by move, word by word, action by action. Everything I do is, is using the, they're building the bricks of this wall between me and the people close to me. And I end up on the outside looking in at, at, at them. We're, we're separated. There's a major separation. If I, if I power up on my family in different ways, and make a pattern of this, things get very cold between us. There's, there's alienation. Maybe my spouse doesn't do what I've asked them to do, or they disappoint me in some way, and I blow up. Well, they may shape up for a few days and do what I want them to do, but is, that, is, that, is, that, is there any comfort in that? There's no comfort. It's a lose-lose. I mean, I, if I'm sarcastic with my kids, now they're... Kids struggle, you know. They're trying to figure life out. And they, they have this streak of wanting to do what they want to do. And it's easy to get frustrated with them. And if, if you're a parent of young children or any child that's under your roof um, and not yet grown up, you, 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 have to, you have to constantly coach 
and train and correct and discipline. But if I get sarcastic and I start to resent their actions and I decide that I'm going to just use my words to, to beat them down into doing what I want them to do, you lose their heart. You, you don't have their hearts any longer. There, there's, at the longer that goes on, they get exasperated and frustrated and they begin to resent you over time. So you, you hold back on that. There are other better ways to help them grow in, in their uh, life skills and, and all that. With my friends who disappoint me, if I give them the cold shoulder and make them pay in some way or leave them out of some upcoming plans because, you know, they've been, they've been a pain lately, you know. Do I get out of that what I want? No, I don't. We can do a lot of damage without saying a word. So we have to watch this. It works. I might use my position to assign people overtime or the, the stuff that I don't really want to do, but people can tell what's going on. And they, they begin to resent this, and you lose their heart. So when I power up on people, it's a lose-lose situation, and I may get what I want but not gain what I need. That's what happens. I get what I want in that given moment. Maybe I force them to do what I think should happen. But boy, I don't get anything I need out of that. When you make a pattern of powering up on people, you alienate them and you end up alone. And Solomon draws a really good conclusion here. Two is better. It's better to do it together than it is alone. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Two is better than one. That's true. So we, we want to relate to people and learn to um, bless them in the way we do that rather than power up on them. The second downside of powering up is I bring judgment on myself. This is another observation of Solomon. He says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. Now, what Solomon's saying here is, on a grand scale, there, there's oppression that we can't do anything about, and you know, that we feel powerless to deal, deal with that. But he's saying this, remember, God is watching. The whole thing unfolds. God is watching all of your life unfold. And he hates injustice. And he, he actually, when you do wrong by other people, that affects your relationship with him. He takes that personally. He, he takes offense because he loves everybody on the face of the earth equally. And so we need to remember that God is watching the way we're treating the people around us, and he will bring his judgment in the right timing. So we watch this. What happens when you see a police car on the on the road? Check your speed, you make sure you know you're gonna use your blinker and you start you start you know you, you, you sort of make sure you're you're doing what you need to do. Now, God is not the great policeman, but 
we need to realize as we're relating to people, he's, he's, he's watching and our carefulness needs to increase. Solomon is reminding those who power up on others that God is always watching, so we need to relate with this in mind. He brings judgment on those who power up, those who oppress. Now, the second topic that we're going to talk about today is money. So that's power. Now we're going to look at money. When I try to buy fulfillment, Solomon says, I'm empty. Because riches carry a a baggage of their own. Now, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. And then he points out, riches carry a baggage of their own. Some of us like to carry that bag. (laughs) You know, some of us, we're thinking, hey, I'd, I'd like to have some riches. I could carry the baggage and I could open it up and see how it goes. But this is reality. Solomon's been here. He's got bags and bags and storerooms of wealth. And what he says here in 11 is, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Now, this is what he's saying. The more money you have, the more you tend to worry about it and worry about losing it and worry about where you're going to invest it, what you're going to do with it. The more you have to lose, the more antacid it takes to deal with life. And that's basically what he's saying. Then he goes on. Uh, The more riches you have, or um, I lost my place. But anyway, the second thing, second point I'm trying to make is greed leads to loss. Oh, thank you. That's beautiful. When I try to buy fulfillment, I'm empty because greed leads to loss. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Whenever we hoard stuff and we try to find our fulfillment in, in the stuff, in the money, the riches, or the things we can buy with those, um, it hurts us. And those riches were lost in a bad adventure. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb. He shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. When you greedily use riches for yourself, you end up vexed. There's that word again, vexed. It's a vexation because they aren't going to give you what you need. You may gain what you want, but you don't gain what you need. That's, that's an important thing that Solomon is trying to, because we come into the world with nothing, we go out of the world with nothing, and we need to get prepared for that event. We're going to look at this the last week. But Solomon actually provides some help for us. If the pursuit of power and money leaves us always wanting more, or unsatisfied powering up on people doesn't give us what we need 
what's the key to true fulfillment? And that's we're going to start screaming toward the wrap-up of this message by looking at how do we find true contentment. Let's continue where we left off in this passage, Ecclesiastes 5. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. It's an important word, lot. We're going to get back to it. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Now, I want you to notice something. Where does the joy come from? God himself. It's a gift from him. We rely on him. You see, if, if you're trying to power up on people to get what you need with your own strength, if you're trying to buy what you, what you want because you think it will give you what you need with your own resources, you come up empty. But joy and contentment is a gift from the living God. And if you'll go to him and give your life to him, give everything you've got to him, trust him with it, then what happens is as you live to please him, he begins to arrange things in a way that brings joy and contentment as you do what pleases him. He promises to bring that. So from this passage, we find that we, we get contentment as we accept our lot in life. Now, we, we don't say things that way very much a lot. I, li- I like the phrase, though. You know, if, if you learn to accept your lot, now the word means, the word lot means portion. If you learn to accept your portion, you know, if you look at the world, you know, it's, everybody has their portion divided up a certain way. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone out to dinner. I go out to dinner with my wife and she likes to share. Um, you know, the hard thing is we don't like the same kinds of food, but Every once in a while, every once in a while we share. I don't know if it's a woman thing or what, but it seems romantic, I think, is the deal. And so she's like, hey, let's share, okay? If I feel like salmon, which she loves salmon, then maybe we get salmon, we share salmon. Well, um, the problem comes when most of the time when we share, like I get three quarters of the meal, she gets a quarter of the meal, works out pretty good. But if she happens to be hungry and she's starting to eat fast, then I have to speed up, okay? And the romance just goes, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's gone, you know, because I'm not, I'm not accepting my lot at that point. Okay, I, I, don't, I, want, I, want, I get unhappy with my portion. And, you know, as, as life flows by for all of us in respect to our lot, in life, our portion, it's very easy to get upset with what's going on right here because we want more. We want more of that. And we're not happy with what's going on. We need a job. We get a job. We're not happy with the one we end up with. We finally get the independence that we wanted when we get out of college or when we get to college. But independence is not as flashy as we thought. You know, there's price to pay. 
when you are irresponsible. We get married, and that's harder than we thought. I thought, you know, you think marriage is going to be awesome. I've had a few guys, you know, I tend to help guys think through marriage and get prepared for it. And I've had a few guys say, hey, I think we've worked through just about everything I can think of right here. Okay, see you in a few months. <laughs> Glad to know that. It's what you think. But uh, I'll be talking to you in a couple months. Because, you know, we get married and we think, oh, this could be great. This person's going to give me everything I need. They're going to just, this is going to be great. And they're thinking the same thing. They're thinking, you're going to give me everything I need. And there's a battle that ensues at times. We have kids. And, you know, it's a long time before they give the love back and they give the gratitude. A long time. So in the moment, in the day, we can get very frustrated with our portion. But a key to finding contentment and joy in life is this. Accept your lot right here and now. Set your heart with the responsibility that you've been given by God to please him. Whatever it is. Please him. Stir within yourself gratitude for what God has given and what God's doing because you have a lot. That was, that was a no pun intended. You do have a lot. In our country, we have a lot. And our lot, our portion is tremendous. We should be grateful for that and do what we can with it. Solomon's instruction is incredibly helpful as we deal with what to do with our portion on a daily basis. Everyone also, in verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. He's the one that brings the joy. He's the one that gives the contentment. I like how he ties accepting and rejoicing together because that's how it flows. You accept your lot, you can rejoice in it. You get frustrated and fight God against your lot, and you, you lose the joy. You will not find it. For all of us, we can accept and rejoice with the portion God has given. What we need in Scripture, you find out that we need to keep a very low bottom line for contentment, food and shelter. Anything beyond that is a bonus. It's just a bonus. God, I don't like my job. I hate this part of my job, but thank you, God. Thank you for providing it. This is my lot right now. You provided this right here and now. God, it seems financially things are going to be really tight. I hate that. I hate budgets. But, you know, thank you, God. I have food. I have shelter. Thank you for your provision for me. I'm so grateful for what you've provided. God, I'm confused about my future, not sure what it looks like, but thank you for direction today. I know what I can do today to get ready for that. Comparison keeps raising the bottom line. When we see the ads, when we get around our friends who have the stuff that we're hoping to get, or they talk about their job that seems glamorous. But it's important to pause and ask yourself, what have I been given that I can be thankful for? What can I trust God with? Um, second thing is, 
when we accept our lot and rejoice with what we have, Solomon explains that we're freed up and we can focus on enjoying the present right here and now. Verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Solomon describes few days. We aren't here that long. We aren't on this earth that long. The older I get, the more I realize that is right. That's an accurate description. I love country songs. Now, I, I'm from, when I was a teenager, I'm, I was into really hard rock. So maybe it seems odd that I'm into country, but I like country. I have friends that sort of treat country like it's kryptonite. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It kind of concerns them. But the great thing about country is it tells stories. It, it, it tells you stories. And there's a song called Don't Blink. I love this song because it's a great reminder. And... Uh, the guy singing it, uh, he, he says he turned on, see, this is the story. He turns on the evening news, saw an old man being interviewed, turning 102 today. See, I'm not playing this because I'm giving my friends a break who can't take country. He's turning 102 today, so they're interviewing the guy who's 102, and they're asking him what, they, what he has to say about life, any advice that you have to pass on, and he says, don't blink, because just... Just like you're six years old, you, wake, you take a nap, you wake up, you're 25, you're marrying your high school sweetheart, and then you go on and uh, you, if you blink, you're going to miss your babies who grow up and get married and have kids of their own, and they're turning into moms and dads, and then your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying that God takes you instead. See, look, it gets to me. Country makes you cry. I don't know what's going on up here. You're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think, so don't blink. That is right. That's what Solomon's trying to communicate to us. In the few days that you have on this earth, accept your lot and rejoice. Life goes fast, very fast. This is why Solomon tells us the key to enjoying the few days that we have is a choice that we make. Nothing robs present joy like borrowing future problems. Let it go. Trust God. Accept your lot. Rely on Him. Depend on Him. God is the only one who can meet your deepest needs. So don't go out there trying to get them met. Now, God sometimes will meet your needs through your family, through your work through all these things, but if you're going there to get them met, you're going to be in trouble. Accept your lot, rejoice, trust God to meet your deepest needs, and he will do so. He will do that. He will do what he's promised to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your wisdom that you've given to Solomon and had him write down so that we could learn from him. God, we honor you, we bless you, we thank you for the truth that we find that is so real to everyday life. And we ask for your help to step out and choose the right attitude, choose gratitude, contentment, joy. Help us to accept the light you've given and rely on you to meet our needs.
We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that today has been a, a help to you. In a moment, we're going to receive our, our offering. Um, I'd like you to take this time to finish filling out any information on that connection card that we talked about earlier. Um, and then when the offering ushers come around, you can, you can drop those cards in the basket. Each week, um, we encourage everyone to, to think through some next steps that they might want to take um, from the message. Um, and so I'd like to go through a couple of those with you. Um, think through what, what is something you want to do um, as you heard the message today. Um, one, one of the next steps that you might want to take is to read through Ecclesiastes 4 and 5. There's a certain amount of understanding that we get from, from reading verses, but sometimes it helps to read more around the, the verse to, to get a further understanding. So maybe God was telling you something this morning you want to read more um, in Ecclesiastes to, to see what, what, um, the, what Solomon was saying there. Also, another uh, next step that you might want to take is to choose contentment in blank. Um, fill, fill in the blank. Yesterday I had to choose contentment in watching my kids during my beloved OU football team's game. But I had to choose contentment, and I related to, to them a lot better than if I didn't choose contentment, because the week before I didn't choose that, and it was rough. So, <clears throat> um, But think through something that you need to choose contentment in. And then also just to accept the lot that God has, has given me. Um, that, that might be a next step that you want to take this morning. The band's going to lead us um, in, in a song as we worship the Lord with our offering.